I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Just a reminder before we get going about the new live podcast that we're going to be doing. I want some help from you really to steer the topic and the themes of these live podcasts because we're going to be sharing them and streaming them on YouTube and you're going to be able to watch the podcast being recorded but also be able to comment and ask questions via the chat and then we'll repurpose those into the audio podcast from where you're listening now. So any ideas of what themes, what topics you'd like to cover that would really um, help you so that you can want to get in involved just please email me mark at educationonfire.com and let me know your thoughts now today i'm delighted to be chatting to dr thomas epperson and he's the president of inner will leadership institute and has over 20 years of experience as a leadership coach facilitator speaker and he regularly works with clients to help transform leaders and their organizations now thomas is a certified business coach and has a doctorate in leadership from the george washington university Tom is currently an instructor in Virginia Commonwealth University's Executive MBA program. He's the author of Inner Will, Developing Better People, Braver Leaders and a Wiser World Through the Practice of Values-Based Leadership. Born out of luck companies, Inner Will Leadership Institute was founded to teach other leaders how to build value-based organisations which ignite the potential in people. Now Tom shares these messages and insights with various organisations and of course today we're going to be talking about this in terms of schools and educational organisations. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr Tom Epperson. Hi Tom, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It seems to me that the environment of leadership and the understanding of what makes an environment so powerful for people both in terms of a, a team in terms of teaching in terms of that kind of community of people that are invested in children and young people as well it's incredibly important so first of all thanks so much for being here and i'm, I'm really excited about where this is going to take us oh thanks mark i really appreciate the opportunity so so let's start um give us a brief in, insight into what is in a will and exactly what are you trying to change in the world to sort of support people so uh, Interwill is a 501c3 nonprofit leadership institute. Uh, we were actually started by a for-profit company as part of its philanthropy. Uh, and the way that we work is we work with for-profit companies and we make, take any money that we make there to cover our costs. And that allows us to do reduced rate or free work to organizations uh, like YMCA's and Goodwill's and school systems. Uh, and so over the years, Interwill has done a bunch of work with different school systems here in the United States uh, around everything from coaching a team of seventh grade teachers to working with superintendents to doing strategic planning. Uh, and it's really part of our overall mission to develop better people, braver leaders in a wiser world through something called values-based leadership. And so in our work, we real recognize that educators have just about the hardest job in the world and they're just about the least appreciated at least here in the states uh, and so we try and do whatever we can to help them be a little bit more effective 
which ultimately that all of society benefits from. And I, and I guess for me, part of that is the fact that so many people that are involved in education have been in education their whole life. They kind of only know what they've known, and there'll be there'll be a teacher that they that they remember, which has been good, which we'll come to later in the show. Um, and 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 that kind of you know institutional ideas of what worked and what didn't work. But that idea of sort of leadership, that idea of kind of having core values which you can bring in to create an ethos within your environment or in schools in this particular situation that may be not something which has been on the forefront of their mind or where they think they would start from um is their sort of career gets going you know it's 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 interesting because i think especially what i witnessed in sort of the primary education where we're educating young kids character development seems like a really natural part of the work you know and so we think we want to talk about things like integrity and being honest we want to talk about things like relationships we want to talk about things like keeping your commitments because as adults we think oh i've got to teach these kids how to act and live according to these values and i've got to set the example for them but then as kids get older and as it gets more complex and especially once they hit puberty like we start to forget the character development is still an incredibly a part of our work and then by the time people are adults, they don't realize how much character development, i.e. our own leadership and personal development, has to do with our effectiveness, our relationships, our satisfaction, whether we're able to, to achieve the goals that we set for ourselves. And so we almost forget that we never stop learning and we never stop educating others. And we are, as leaders, we're always on stage. So we're always modeling behaviors and modeling what we expect and what we value. And so the more that we can remember that kind of people development as a part of our secondary education, as a part of our university system, as a part of our educating of adults in the corporate world, the better off we are um, because we're all sort of messy works in progress. Yeah, I think that's really, it's really important, isn't it? And it all, it all starts with ourselves, doesn't it? Because it's very easy just to go, well, I, I'm a done deal now. I, I've been, yeah, I've been to school and I've studied and, 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 and there we are. And, and now I'm, I'm all focused on you. And, uh, and I just think whether that's kind of, you know, general improvement, general understanding, general learning, awareness is the most important thing because, of course, oh, that sure. changes you go through life as well. Yeah, it, it's, you know, you think about this podcast, for example. So let's say it goes horribly wrong and we take the podcast, we put it right in the ditch. You know, it'd be really easy for me to blame you. It's all Mark's fault. He was in charge. It's his deal. He sets the guardrails. It's all Mark. It's like a point the finger. As opposed to, what responsibility do I have in co-creating this podcast with you? And how can I show up as my, the best version of myself to be interesting and engaging and to play with you and to have a really deep conversation with you? Like, what am I bringing to the dance? And if I blame you, that means I don't learn anything from this experience. And it means you got to share, you've got a burden, you got to carry all the burden of the responsibility and I got nothing. Right? And so it makes me smaller and it's unfair to you. And so, in our own development, I've got to take as much responsibility for my actions and how I show up as anything else. And so when you go in and you're, you're supporting, let, let's say, a, a school situation, is it normally that they've brought you in because there are certain things they want to fix in inverted commas or or certain things that they're they're looking to get support with um and i and i guess part of that is is it someone sort of high up who thinks we want to have a bit of a conversation here and you've got to kind of convince a whole load of other people that maybe aren't so in, enthused by the fact that they've got to 
be part of something which they might not fully engage with to begin with but i guess your job is to then kind of sort of show them that bigger picture yeah so so in interwill our board wants us to be industry agnostic which means we work with every industry every shape color size of different kind of business and organization out of there in sort of schools is schools and school systems and universities tend to be kind of one part of our nonprofit work and i would love it if our clients came to us and said you know what we're pretty awesome we want to be awesomer nobody comes and says that uh it's always there's a problem something's on fire it's a culture issue it's a strategic issue it's a planning issue it's something's gone south um and and typically you know especially in the school system it could be a principal who we've got a relationship with who then sort of brings us into the rest of the school system it could be a superintendent you know you can come in at a lot of different levels but one of the things that we've absolutely learned about organizations is as much as i love to think that change can start from the bottom up or that you could start in the middle and really transform organizations that way it's just not how change happens in organizations it's just doesn't and so in a school system or in a university or wherever you're at in a corporation you got to get the senior most leaders, you know, and so here in the States, you know, you got to get the superintendent and you got to get the assistant superintendents and then you got to get the principals. And if you get them, you get the entire school system. You get the teachers, the staff, the kids, everything. But if you don't get those senior leaders, you're not going to make one inch of change within that organization. And as hard a lesson as that is, it really does mean Okay, so how are we going to get the buy-in support and leadership of the senior most leaders? You know, if I'm a if I'm a, a teacher and I look up and I see my principal saying one thing and doing another, that audio doesn't match the video, there's no way I'm going to try something different. There's no way I'm going to follow. There's no way I'm going to try and uh, uh, live up to that model, right? Because I see that dissonance. And for me, that's the epitome of the education system in terms of not working now and and that goes like I say from from the senior senior leadership down into teachers but it also goes from what pupils see to what they're experiencing from their teachers as well you know it's that kind of currently all all, all we're hearing is mental health is incredibly important well-being is important look after yourself we need to focus on this at the same time I'd like you to be in school for seven hours. I'm going to give you four hours worth of homework and you've got an after school club. And if you could just do this, this, this and this. Well, what, it's not surprising that one, people are struggling and also to those that do understand all this are like, well, actually, no, that's not really going to work for me. And, yeah. and like you say, on whatever level, you know, that modeling is, is incredibly important. And, um, and it's those sort of fearless people who are able to say, we know there's a different way. We know there are certain things that we have to do in tick box. And that's a whole different conversation about education. But there are those that are able to take all that on board and mold it in such a way that you can you can get everyone really, really supporting everything that you're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. So the very first school system that we worked with, there was a, a, a consultant who's a friend of mine and she had asked herself, you know, I want to give back. How do I give back? When in my life did I experience the most change? If I could go back and make it better, what would it be? Well, middle school. So, you know, anywhere from, say, 11 years old up to, say, 15. And uh, so she started doing work, pro bono work um, within a school, uh, working with middle school kids around leadership. And one of the first observations she made, made after doing it for a few months is 
the kids got it really quick. They took to it really fast. They could begin practicing some leadership behaviors and skills uh, and very quickly lapped the teachers. Right? And then the kids would look up. The teachers weren't modeling any of the skills she was teaching. And they're like, well, why should we keep doing this? And so that's when she started reaching out and bringing kind of more people like me uh, into that work. And then it became all about how do we help teachers and administration really model what they expect out of their kids and how do we help them most importantly become adaptable you know whether it's teaching whether it's leadership whether it's podcasting you know your ability and capacity to adapt determines your effectiveness right unless you are in the same environment every day with all the same kids and trying to teach the exact same lesson you're going to have to adapt and adjust your approach to be really effective and so in school systems, can we help individual educators really develop the skills and abilities to adapt, not just, um, I'm gonna try different ways of teaching this curriculum, but how can I adapt my sort of style as I approach different learning styles? How can I approach different communication styles based on the kids' needs? How can I manage both the big group as well as the small groups? Um, ultimately, as I'm developing curriculum, how can I be really thoughtful about changing things up and keeping it fresh and keeping it new? And oh yeah, at the same time, I'm underpaid, I'm overworked, I don't have nearly enough time or support to do this kind of work, and it's a credible grind, you know? And so the job itself of educators is so crazy hard, and yet they have such an impact on our kids. It it's boggles the mind. And, and so... Tell us a little bit about sort of your background and your experience in terms of sort of, like I say, relating to, to what educators are going through and, and how that fits in with the other organizations that you're working with. And like I say, your personal experience of, of your sort of nine to five, if you want to call it that in inverted commas. Yeah. So uh, if I go way, way back, um, by the time that I was in eighth grade, so about, say, 12 years old, uh, I was getting in fights every day at school, you know, and one of the at some point i decided i was tired of getting in fights because i was on the losing end of those fights <laughs> and uh so i started looking for ways to not it's a good it's a good reason not to isn't it <laughs> yeah that's yeah, exactly like if you're winning you can just keep fighting right but if you're losing it, you want to find a way to, to change it and uh so one of the things that i started doing is i started tutor, tutoring kids right like other kids and realized i had a knack for it so in addition to avoiding bullies or avoiding the bus or avoiding like getting fights, then I could go to these kids. And then the bonus was like their parents would have like family meals and loving relationships and like all of this upside and sometimes cable. Um, so fast forward to um, when I was in college, I was a percussion instructor. So I'm teaching high school kids how to play drums essentially. And really after a lot of bumps and bruises really came to love it just loved it loved it loved it loved it then fast forward i'm in my career uh and i begin teaching adults you know as uh was in the training role and the training management role and on down the path and so over time i ended up getting a master's in human resource development which is really all about the training of adults uh, and the development of adults through executive coaching and facilitation and curriculum development. Um, my doctorate's in leadership, which again, part of the core of leadership is developing other human beings. And so I come to it both from um, 
trying not to get in fights and the serendipity of figuring out a computer kids to reduce the amount of fights I was getting into to, to really loving it uh, as a percussionist and an instructor to sort of having the formal education behind it. That's really kind of what brings me to it. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of fight scenario, because I, I it's one of the things I struggle with the most and I, and I, it's a perpetual circle that I go in trying to get into a, into an environment with a different attitude, knowing that everyone's struggling, knowing that, you know, people have got various things they've got to do, different hats, different tick boxing and all that kind of thing. And and being different in yourself in doing that is fine. As opposed to that sense of, but this really isn't working or this really isn't okay. You know, that being valued or, or that sense of that kind of thing. So you don't want to pick a fight, but sooner or later you just kind of go, we're just going down the same rabbit hole here and nothing's going to change. So so how do you sort of, sort of put those sort of two things together by, you know, showing up authentically, you know, asking the right questions, you know, making a difference, but without it being, we need to slug it out because I'm not sure of any other way of, of making that, either that point heard or, or making that change. Ooh, uh, kind of a big question. You know, it really does start with the idea that we're all messy works in progress, right? Like, like we're building our self-awareness and understanding ourselves over the course of our entire lives. Now, there are some people who get to the end of their lives and they haven't learned a single thing about who they are, you know, and I can't imagine they were that effective or that happy. Um, but for others, like we're always trying to figure out who am I? What do I believe? What do I value? If I dig way down deep, you know, what's the upside of my values? What are the downside? What am I afraid of? How did this all hang together? Can I unpack some of these beliefs and assumptions that aren't working for me anymore? And so I think we're always in the process of becoming who we are. We're always in the process of reaching our potential. We're always in the, the sort of journey of really the path of our lives. Right? And it's a huge amount of development that goes along with that, with a lot of reflection and learning from those lessons and trying things and experimenting and you name it. Uh, going back to your question about like, how do you, how do you recognize something's not working? Um, there's a bunch of different ways. I, I know for me, if I'm waking up every day and I'm unhappy and I'm miserable and um, tilted over, something's not right. right. Probably something's going on in my life that isn't aligned with my core values, isn't aligned with who I am, and it's got me unsettled. And the question is, what do I do about it? Because right. I definitely believe that the, the answer to anxiety like that is action, like do something. And I can't tell you how often in our lives, um, whether we're educators or whether we're, you know, you and I or whomever, we're faced with options. We're faced with choices. Right? And we sort of, we gnash our teeth and we struggle with, do I make this choice? Do I not make this choice? What's the right thing? In most decisions in our lives, there's three right answers, right? We just have to pick one. And when we choose that choice, when we walk through that door, then the universe seems to tilt and then helps us make it work out. Right? That's just been my experience is the not choosing is kind of more anxiety provoking and more of a struggle than the choosing. So if you're stuck in your life, what are the choices ahead of you? And then make that choice, take that action. And I always think that's a really interesting stance when going back to the, like I said about teachers, you know, overworked, underpaid, <laughs> undervalued, yeah. all of those things. But you've got that true sort of vocational sense of, of wanting to make a difference. And I suppose then it's just a question of kind of, you know, how, how do I make those different choices and how do I show up? Because I don't want to I don't want to walk away necessarily. But at the same time, 
I want to make a difference in a way that's going to support me to be doing this in five, 10 or 15 years time. And I guess that's probably something you see a lot in terms of educators sort of moving away from the profession and which is, is, is not supporting is a, is a school system at all. Yeah. It's kind of the first question is why did they get involved in education in the first place? You know, like I've got a, a friend of mine who's a career coach, Maggie Mistel, and her model is soul search, research, job search. And so before we get into education, did we do the real soul search around like what lights me up? What energizes me? What do I value? What's important to me? What kind of impact do I want to make? And then the research is like going to find where that is. And it could be in a school system. It could be in a specialized teaching role. Uh, it could be in administration. It could be in staff. There's a bunch of different ways to answer that question. And then the job search is, okay, now go find that. Whereas I, I think some people come to teaching and they maybe they want something safe or they have this idealized notion of what teachers are like. I think a lot of folks had a really good teacher in their lives and they're like, I want to do that. That's the impact I want to have. And so they get into the teaching profession and then all the reality sets in of challenging kids and challenging parents and challenging administration. And then they do that for a few years and they get on a um, sort of a, a wheel and they start running and running and running and they're not making any progress and eventually they get burned out. And then they look at their paycheck one day and they say, I'm not getting paid nearly enough for this. Right. And so then they, they bail out of the, the system. Whereas before we get to that burnout stage, before we get to that point of no return, I think it's helpful to try and remember why did I do this in the first place? How does it tie back to my purpose and why I walk this earth? Is it the profession that's grinding me down? Or do I still love teaching? Do I still love kids? Do I still love education? And it's just this team or this role or this school or this school system. And can I find what really lights me up someplace else? Or is there work that I need to do on myself to either better cope with this stress or to set better boundaries? Or what can I take personally responsible as opposed to blaming everybody else about me being burned out? and do differently in order to be more effective and more happy. Um, it's a it's a tough decision and tough roles, but it's the it's the same journey we're all on. Yeah, no, I think I think it's really important and it's a, it's a it's a great focal point and I think I think one of the things which sort of always strikes me in that scenario is the fact that the other thing you need to make sure is that you've got time because I think the only way you can answer those questions like I say especially if you've been involved in these things for a long time is to actually have enough time to be able to soul search for a better word you know or, or to sit with it and actually like I say really contemplate you know why did I get involved what's the reality what can I change what can I take responsibility for um and and, and, I, and I like the sort of the, the different sort of degrees that you spoke about you know because it might be exactly the same job but in the school down the street it might be exactly the same um thing you're teaching but it might be as a, an online tutor or one-to-one -one tutor as opposed to in the classroom or it might just be I need to be in a different state or a different country or, or whatever it happens to be and then all of sudden you get back to that sort of sense of the world is your oyster again without literally saying okay now i'm just going to pack it up and i'm going to go and work in walmart or whatever <laughs> absolutely absolutely so so we talk a little bit about values-based leadership there's really sort of five practices that underpin it so one is all about building awareness so do you know yourself the second is about realizing potential so do you know the impact you want to make and what's the best version of you the third practice is all about developing relationships uh, because in the leadership business, we're always influencing whether we realize it or not. We can be, make intentional choices 
to develop those relationships. Uh, taking action, which is all about running towards the fire versus a ray from it. So making these courageous choices that align with our values and who we really are. And then ultimately practicing reflection. So are we carving out time? And have we found a process where we can reflect on how am I doing? Am I making choices that align with who I want to be? Am I making choices that get me closer to my goals? And then what lessons can I learn from all of these actions that I've been taking? And can I apply them to the future? And so these practices, if you kind of are sort of uh, regularly working them, they work together, right? And so they help us to make progress towards the larger goals, our larger purpose, the larger impact we want to have. And what's interesting about that reflection piece is you got to have time. You know, one of, one of the things that I've found is that uh, for some people, getting on a mountaintop with a pretty journal and a nice pen and in nature is the perfect way for them to reflect. My brain is not organized that way. I need other people, preferably with a whiteboard and some markers, and we need to have a conversation. And that conversation is going to help me reflect deeply about kind of what it is. And so I would encourage everybody as you go through that reflective process is to find what works for you and to be okay with the fact that if all your guru buddies need to be on a mountaintop by themselves with a pen and a pad, and that's how they reflect, then let them go do that for you. Figure out what works for you. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that's so powerful about that is the fact that that's true for all the people that you're affecting as well, isn't it? You know, because, you know, the one thing we know about learning is it's not a one-size-fits-all. And within within the confines of education, you know, there's a system and a group of 30 kids and, and all of that. But the really great teachers and the great educators find a way to make that personalized learning work, whether it's a conversation, it's a, it's a ICU, UCB scenario, or have you tried it this way? Or do you want to just spend five minutes having a little bit of an extra chat about that or whatever it happens to be? And and to be able to bring that back into you, like I said, you know, go and be on the mountain top or like I say, um, put it on a whiteboard and work it through whatever it happens to be. And uh, I'd be interested for anyone listening if you've got a, a third or 20 versions of that which work for you. Because I think it's just interesting for people to realize, you know, it's only about you. And the only version who really knows that is you, like I say, when you can have that reflection. Yeah. And, and, and I think part of the part of the journey is figuring that out about yourself, like really trying to understand your owner's manual and writing the thing down. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you were mentioned kind of sparked me in thinking about. So the education system we have today has its roots in basically having a factory driven industrialized workforce. Right. Like we need people to come out of their individual trades. We need them to come off the farm. They probably have a wide variety of education and experience, maybe a lot of varying levels of literacy and sort of math knowledge. And we need to take that population and turn them into good employees. And so we got good at that. And our education system got good at delivering on that workforce, right? It shows up on time, driven by bells, very kind of much mass produced uh, education. And then in the past, you know, 10 or 20 years where we begin to really understand that while that was effective in getting a lot of people educated in a short amount of time, it isn't optimal, right? It's not the optimal way that everybody learns. Some people thrive in those environments and some people don't. And the pandemic has certainly shown us that we can teach using technology in a lot of different ways, but we're also going to leave some people behind. You know, like the in recent stats here in the U.S. where, you know, we basically lost progress in reading and math 
back to 2000 levels, right? Like an absolute tragedy for our young people. And so I am curious deeply, and I'd love to get your perspective on like, where's it going, right? Like we're in the middle of all this change and transition in our education system and society in, in general, and we're very much under fire. And so what's next? Like, what's that next innovation that's going to help us get so much better or get much better lift in how we educate kind of the next generation? Well, what is the million dollar question? And, 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 and there are two schools of thoughts that I, I hear, which I think are both true, but and both work in some respects and not others. So the first is you're absolutely right. You know, the system is based on what we needed a long time ago. So that means that what do we need now? And more importantly, what do we need for the future? And it's it's those skills, those value ideas that you spoke about. That has to be, you know, we don't know what it is that's going to give us the energy efficiency and the, you know, the what we need going forward. But it's probably not anything that we have now. It's going to be a version of or development of, which is going to come from someone who's incredibly interested and clever in a particular area that's going to change the world in something we've never heard about that isn't going to come by making someone sit in a corner and do what they're told it's going to come from from, from bringing them out you know so therefore immediately we know we need to find a way for that person to get excited about life to follow their interests to develop the skills they need to be their best person to find their friends who are going to do the same that's going to do that so one of the things could be is we, you know, we scrap the education system, we do it completely differently. But one thing the pandemic has shown me is the fact that we had the opportunity to do that because it changed overnight. And the one thing they said was, but we've lost so much great stuff, we have to go back to what we knew before, which takes us back a step and probably a step before. There are people who are doing great things by saying look we have this technology we have the ability to learn in a different way. And also you have a bit of choice now, you know, you can do online school, permanently you can do some online school you can do some in-person normal traditional face-to-face -face, but you can blend it in such a way you can get some tutoring you can you can experience the world in a very different place but, but that takes a bit of ownership and it takes support from parents and the community to say it's your learning it's it's our environment let's create the one that we want but that's assuming you have that support at home i think part of the education system is, is we're assuming that if you've got you haven't got that support at home we want to make sure that every child has the opportunity to get the best they can but then you go around that hamster that hamster will again so so you know having a great teacher someone who's an innovative who can sort of show you all those things is changing one person at a time and, and that's all i guess you can do yourself is the next conversation showing somebody inspiring someone giving them what they need but um, I, I I had a conversation with um, Dr. Garrett um from Bet um earlier in the year, and he said what we needed was someone like a Bob Geldof figure in terms of you know we need to feed the world and we need someone to say it's all very well us doing these bits and pieces, but we need something to change now. We need someone that everyone can get behind and say, look, people are starving over there. We need to raise some money and we need to give them fresh water and give them the opportunity to do that because. That, that for me, part of that piecemeal problem is the fact that, great, that there's a load of children who get that opportunity, but every time there's a child who's struggling with their mental health or not able to go to school, then we're failing them. So we need probably a combination of both of those things, which doesn't particularly answer your question, but I guess that's the reason why the education system is where it is, because it's, it's multifaceted. But I think in some ways it needs to be wholesale change, but with a degree of personalization, which is not easy to do, but probably is the way forward. Yeah, to your point, it's both ends, right? 
Like it's not going to be, it's not going to be one silver bullet. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking to think that, that, you know, one of the strongest predictors of health outcomes and income and even overall happiness is zip code, right? Like that the conditions of your birth have such a heavy weight on your entire life outcomes, you know, and education is no different. You know, it's heartbreaking to see that you've got in one zip code, you've got a, a school system that has all the resources in the world, you know, where kids are get, getting prepared for this fantastic secondary education where they come in and, you know, they've got nothing but sort of stability and opportunity in front of them. And you've got other kids who don't get enough to eat except at school. Right. And you've got other kids who don't have books at school and who don't have resources, um, who might be in a school and then pulled out for two weeks because they had to go live with grandma and then grandma brought them back and then, you know, all their life turmoil and school's not equipped to address all of those issues and needs, you know? So, so some part of me is excited about the power of things like technology and flexibility. You know, my kids learn way differently than I did. You know, if you watch them with one earbud in while they're doing their homework, while the TV's playing, while they're doing a video game all at the same time, which makes my brain melt. You know, it's cool. And I'm excited that technology is going to help bridge a lot of those gaps because it is kind of a great equalizer. Right. But if those kids don't have the same access to technology, then are they being limited in the same ways? Right. Because it still doesn't solve all the societal things that made it a struggle anyway. Right. It still doesn't mean that they're going to have enough to eat or that they're going to have a stable home life, uh, but at least it's going to give them a shot, you know. And so how do we rethink education to your point to not only help the people who have the most excel, not only help the people who have sort of the greatest gifts intellectually, physically or otherwise excel, but the folks who have challenges, how do we help them excel up to their level of uh, potential and how do we help the folks who maybe not have as much as you or I to excel in the future? Like, like it's a big thorny, difficult issue to solve. And maybe we just got to solve them one at a time. I don't know. I'm, a, yeah, I'm an optimistic yeah. person, but realistic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And, and it, what it just reminds me, um, I think it was um, Stephen Bartlett on the Die of a CEO podcast was talking about um that he was having a conversation with one of his guests and they were talking about that perception of what you expect your workforce to want you know so as the ceo is the person who's leading something you know we're after great results we're after this that and everything else and you're you just assume that the rest of your company is either doing that or you're going to try and create a way of making them do that because you're all on the same page and we're all striving for the stars you know and hoping you end up on the moon if not that kind of scenario but then he said actually what's made the biggest difference is understanding that not everyone's the same you know some people just want to go to work and earn a steady uh, a steady paycheck have a lovely home life do what they enjoy doing in the evenings and that's absolutely fine and there are some that want to support you to be the best possible ceo you can and do the best possible thing that you want and you've probably got 20 degrees in between of those things and what made the difference was having conversations with people to find out who they are and what they wanted and that's not anything that we ever do in education. It's all about this is what you should be doing because this is what we expect or what the world expects. And maybe it's it's that same sort of conversation about, you know, what do you need? And so for some children, it'll be, I need a meal. For some, it'll be, 
I need an you know, I need an iMac because I'm you know I'm about to try and create something which I've never been able to do before. But maybe 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 that's the thing, you know, that way of of having a system and a society in place that gives whatever you need and whatever that you do need is okay. And 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 maybe maybe that just takes the standardization away of expectation, which is gonna make the difference from that starting point. So so imagine if you are a doctor in a teaching university. So your job is to be a doctor, your job is to be a professor, your job is to be a researcher. And so you might have goals around, you've got to teach this many classes, you've got to see these many patients, you've got to do this much research, you've got to go and get this much funding, and oh yeah, by the way, you got to make a bunch of money for this, this system. Right? One person cannot do all of those things, and yet we expect these highly driven type A, really talented folks to be able to do all those things. If you look at a, a teacher in, you know, a primary school, they've got to be a counselor. They've got to be a teacher. They've got to be a curriculum designer. They've got to be a good parent counselor. They've got to be a, you know, they've got to be a problem solver and a resource provider. They've got too many things that we are asking them and expecting them to do. Um, and have we ever slowed down to your point to ask them, okay, how did this whole job, like, what are you really good at? And like, let's help them be really good at that. And let's find somebody else to solve some of those other issues. You know, it's a, we oftentimes, I think in education, very much treated as an individual effort when it ought to be a team effort. It really should. Like having a, one teacher with 40 kids for an entire day for eight hours is crazy town. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And and maybe, you know, part of that starts by having someone like yourself going in and sort of having these conversations that are just immediately just change that thought process of kind of, well, it does it have to be like that? You know, can we get someone else in? Is there is there something that we can do based on those values which can just shift the paradigm just a little bit, just 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 to do that? Because I think so much of what you think is that we can't do anything. So therefore I'm just going to get on and do it. And as soon as, like you said, you take ownership with it and you, you, there are choices and they can be small, but they can have a big effect in, in terms of that sort of pebble in the pond sort of thing. And, um, and your little bit affects the people around you. And then maybe, maybe that's where the sand starts to shift enough to do that. And like I say, I think bringing in people from outside education in that traditional system sense, I think is probably a great idea in as much as we're all learning, we're all people, we're all sort of having this human interaction. It's just that we need to stop thinking that maybe schools are just a, a really one-off kind of place and actually bringing in some of these other ideas are gonna help help make that difference. It's, it's a really great perspective. I mean, going back to where we started about leadership. So imagine you're a superintendent in a school system and you really think, you know, we're okay, but there's, clearly areas where we're falling short and there are clearly areas where we're doing well. And the only way that we're going to get better at the places where we're falling short, the only way we're going to get better at, and even, even better at the places where we're doing well is to be innovative. So how much of your strategy for your school system is about innovation and experiments and trying new things? And can you drive a culture of innovation and experimentation through the school system. So the people you hire and the people you fire, the people you reward and how you incent and how you get people to work together has this innovation as a background, right? So that part of education is not just the mass production and consistent operational efficiency of driving a school, but it's also we're constantly innovating in how we do it. And let's not just assume because we've been doing it the same way for 120 years, that we should keep doing it the same way for 120 years.
Like, let's get an innovation engine running inside our school systems and have it make good results. Yeah, I love that, and and and, and I love the, the the vast sort of options that that brings. What 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 just struck um um came to mind then as you were saying that was the the, the principle or the head. I can't remember even remember which country this started in, but the sense that we want our children to read and to be with people that can help support them to read. So the teacher's got thirty people. There's only so much time they can do. We can bring a parent or two in. And what they did is they took the class to uh, a care home. So all the children had basically a buddy um, within the care home where they were sat, had conversations, listened to read. And it just opened up a whole different world because you've got these different generations. You've got these different versions of life. And of course, in terms of the, the either end of those generations, you know, some people would die and so therefore that opens up a whole other conversation it changes the community feel of what you're doing it changes the whole atmosphere of learning and those relationships but essentially all that person was trying to do was to get kids the opportunity to be heard and to read to someone else but they, they thought of it slightly outside of the box but still managed to achieve that goal and, and i think like I say it's just those those small shifts that can make the difference but also what that then leads on to is that you know if you take that model of where can we find the answer to this little solution oh well it's not inside the school gates it's outside the school gates and then you kind of get that collaborative sort of help and support where everyone wants what they need because of course like you know industry doesn't need the old-fashioned education system because they're not getting even the employees that they want because they don't have the skills and the understanding they want to be in it with it so so therefore you know where's that going to go and like I say those conversations may be are, are the really key ones yeah, it's a, it's such a fascinating kind of point about there are there are different ways to do this, and there are innovative and interesting ways to do it if we're open to it, you know. And, and but we we get so busy fighting these culture wars with even our school systems, um, where you know what's the what's what books should kids be reading? When should they be exposed to X, Y, or Z? You know, and and I love it when educators talk about we are trying to prepare kids for the jobs that haven't even been invented yet. And yet, are we really developing the skill sets that they're going to need to deliver on that? Are we really building their curiosity? Are we really building their comprehension? Are we really building their problem solving and innovation skills? Are we really building their adaptability? I think the best educators are. I think the worst educators are not even coming close to that. I think the best school systems are. I think the most challenged school systems, they're just trying to get kids to be able to read at grade level. And so how do we move everybody forward? You know, that's that's the real challenge. Yeah. And and it always seems to me, I think to your point, or the, or the way I, I could perceive it, is the fact that we need to get people ready for these new jobs. So therefore, we need to do more STEM, because that means that we've got people who are educated in the right sorts of things to move us forward in the perception we think we're going to. But then I always think, you know, it's that kind of, if you're creating a new car, you need people to know about aerodynamics and you need to know how to do manufacturing, but you also need people who've got the design element to make it look fantastic or, you know, uh, electrics in the way that you want to create fantastic stereos or even to experience something within a car that you've never heard before, or even it's not a car as we know it, it's something else. And so it's not about any given subject or area. And like I say, it's about that curiosity. It's about that excitement and it's about that kind of 
well, we don't know, but let's give it a go and kind of step into that. And and that's, I just think that's so far out of the comfort zone of, of what we're able to kind of mark or, or tick box. And it, it's really hard to sort of push that, but it is where the excitement is. And I think that's probably where that change will come. As, as, a, uh, as a race of people, as a human beings, we love certainty and we love it to be black and white and we love it to be sort of the easy answers. Uh, and the answer is always both end, you know, Yes, we need more STEM, but we also need artists. Yes, we need people who can calculate aerodynamic, you know, uh, quotients. And yet, we also need folks who can paint. Like we, we need both, and there should be room for both. What's interesting is that we don't often sit back and look at the whole system and say, "How is the system driving the outcomes that we're getting, and are we happy with that?" So. I'll give you a sample size of one or sample size of two, quite frankly. I've got two teenagers, right? One of them is in college now, the other's still in high school. And in my experience, um, because we're sort of very much driving them towards college, um, because we're doing that, that means that they are excluded from any kind of hands-on technical training that they could be getting. So no auto shop, no carpentry, no sort of industrial work, no uh, hands-on medical work or EMT training or any of that because they've got to fill up their schedule with classes that are going to get them into college that colleges look for. And colleges are not looking for, did you take an auto class or a shop class? My kids could be so much more well-rounded if they had access to both, right? But unfortunately, the way that we're tracked, because we want them to, to do a four-year school if they choose to this is the only thing that we have time and energy exposed to and so it's on me as a parent to try and share with them those other opportunities right whether they're interested you know it's it's my job to get them interested in that stuff too in addition to like their regular school work and like you know i would i would love it i would love it if we could figure a way to solve for all those things you know to your point yeah, and, and, and I think you kind of answered one of the questions, which is the fact that, you know, it's the community of people supporting the, um, our, the young people in our life that's the important thing. Because in that scenario, the school's saying this, as a parent, I know this and I can help in that way. And vice versa, if you're not getting it, as we said before, you're getting it in school, not getting it at home. Um, and I think also one of the things that I, we've always been quite keen on in terms of our children is the fact that it's not about now you know because that takes the pressure off you know the exams of this year my life stops or starts based on that because there's another year there's a different course there's a different university college wasn't the way I wanted to go because actually I want to be doing shop or whatever whatever it happens to be and hopefully fingers crossed you're you're on this earth for a long time and it's going to change anyway and and you don't need to choose despite what everyone's telling you and and I think with that takes the pressure off a bit it kind of changes the environment and also it opens your mind to be able to go do you know what I'm going to speak to this person or I'm going to have a mentorship with that person or I'm going to experience this in my summer or whatever it happens to be. And like you said, be excited about that and step into it and take advice from everybody, but realizing and and probably back to the most important thing that we said, have the time, understand what your values are, what you're trying to do in the world, how you want to show up and do it in all of those key areas, because then that will keep you in your lane which only you know that could be, and 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 that I, that I really love, and I feel very strongly is going to support every child, whatever their circumstances, like you say, their zip code or whatever that happens to be. Science and common sense tell us 
that when you're in an environment that allows you to act on your values, that honors who you really are, you're going to perform better, you're going to be more trusted, you're going to get better results, and you're going to be happier. And so why not help people find that environment? Absolutely. So the acronym FIRE is important to us here, Education on FIRE, and by that we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What strikes you when you when you hear those four things? Uh, so professionally in my world, working with leaders, working with organizations, feedback is one of the most incredibly important skills that we develop as leaders and that we develop as human beings, both giving and getting it. Uh, it is also the skill that we as adults are terrible at. We are awful at giving and getting feedback in every organization in every setting we're awful and so the more we can do to build the skill of giving and getting feedback the better because it is just data we can use to accomplish our goals and it's just data if you're going to give it is in help in helping them if we really care about somebody else giving them the data they need to achieve what they want to achieve so I know I just doubled down on one thing, but like feedback is just, it's so vital and so important. Yeah, absolutely. There's no right or wrong answer about this because I love I, I love the perspective of what people have. It comes from their experience and also, like you say, that kind of, that real knowledge of, of what makes a big difference and I'm passionate there. And, and I think the feedback thing is, it's a really big trigger for so many people to not take it personally, to take it as a positive. And also, like you say, again, back to those value things, because if you've got all of that in place, then you're going to more likely take all that and and deliver it in a way which is going to be supportive in, in a sort of a growing sense. And uh, and yeah, <laughs> if only we could share that more. Hence the reason I'm glad we've had this conversation today, because it makes a massive difference. <laughs> oh, Tom, thank you so much. For, it's been a fascinating conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, tell people where they can find out more about you and, and how they can get involved in the sort of work that you're doing and, and how you're helping people. Awesome. I really appreciate it, Mark. Uh, so if they want to find out more about Inner Will, if they go to innerwill.org, I-N-N-E-R-W-I-L-L.org, you can find more about our organization. You can reach out and get in touch. That's the easiest way to get me and my team and to learn a little bit more about that. Fantastic. It's why I love the podcast so much, because for every website, every bit of copy or however people like to consume content, for me, hearing those vocal cords, hearing the personality, hearing the passion, being able to chat around all the things that we all know, but just sometimes just need sort of hammering home or or to give us that piece of advice or a sense of being able to look inside and, and that authentic idea. And I think we've managed to do a great job with that today. So yeah, thank you so much for being here and sharing. Oh, you're welcome, Mark. If, uh, if you've got readers out there or people who like to listen to books on tape, if tape is even a thing anymore, you can find us on Amazon. Our book is Inner Will. Uh, developing better people, braver leaders in a wiser world through values-based leadership. So you can get it wherever you buy your electronic books and you're more than welcome to download and listen to it. Fantastic. Tom, thank you so much indeed. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.